joint Conversations with Criminologists and Talking Terror podcast. This podcast was recorded at the North-South Criminology Conference at University College Cork, Ireland in September 2019. Featuring Professor John Horgan and Professor Shad Maruna and moderated by Dr. Orla Lynch, this podcast brings together two leading scholars in terrorism studies and criminology to discuss the past, present and future of research on terrorism and political violence. This podcast was produced by Orla Lynch and John Morrison, edited by Kevin Hosford, and made possible with the support of Criminology at University College Cork and SAR, the Security Analysis and Research Group. We're going to start off um, with a quote from uh, John's PhD supervisor, Professor Max Taylor, and a mentor of both of ours. And he said about the state of play of terrorism research, he said, we are where we are, but if I were you, I wouldn't start from here. <laughs> It's such a carry We are where we are, but if I were you, we're start from here. Um, I know, I'm not sure I'm going to respond to that. Um, okay, I, I'm not sure I have the words to describe where we are right now. Um, as, as someone who has sort of you know, made his career thinking about terrorism and, and trying to trying to think about it just as a human being, but not as a psychologist, um, I think the context, the global context of terrorism has so fundamentally changed in the last few years that I, I have trouble making sense of it. I spent the last few years thinking about, um, you know, little, little things here and there, you know, potential future directions for, for what I call terrorism. I know it's a very deeply problematic term. Um, but thinking about trends like um, uh, uh, the increasing use of children in terrorist conflicts, both as uh, participants and victims, thinking about newer kinds of terrorism, we have uh, the emergence and evolution of uh, an unusual community known as, as incels or involuntarily celibate in the United States right now that I'm currently doing research on. But, but bigger picture, things have gotten very, very complicated, and complicated very, very quickly. We are, we are in the midst of, of, of um, you know, where I live and work now, America is my home, a, a national resurgent extreme right-wing movement. And, and some have said, you know, that that is, that is one reason alone why we need to think about having a domestic terrorism statute, which we don't have, but to think about it as domestic terrorism is to completely miss the point. This is, it is a national problem, it is a, it is a global problem, and it is um, uh, uh, thinking to something that uh, Professor Kirhan said at the end of the, one of the um, sessions this morning, terrorism extremes, and these words have become so almost meaningless as to, to, to not capture what's going on right now. What do we do when, when extremism has become the norm? Uh, and I, I don't think that's a philosophical question. So, um, we are where we are. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't want to say that. Yeah, yeah I, I, you know, I'm an outsider to, to this field, that field, uh, but as a, as an outsider, I prepared for today by reading out a bunch of John's articles and, and uh, very enjoyable. Uh, and, and what struck me is, is uh, and reading those about the, the field is, is 
just how new this, this area really is. You know, I mean, John would ask questions uh, about what, what should we do in terms of uh, uh, rehabilitating uh, people who are convicted of, of, of terrorism. And, and it was clear from, from the articles that he is one of the first people in academia who thought through the easy and, and his, uh, some of his contemporaries writing at the moment and, and maybe one generation back here at the core. But, uh, um, you know, he, unlike criminology, where we're, we're, we've got the baggage of a hundred years of, well, well, of course this is what rehabilitation is, this is how we do it, uh, we, you know, of course we use prisons, of course we use probation and, and parole, because this is what we've always done. Um, you know, you don't have that, that concern, that baggage, because these are sort of the thoughts that we haven't had to consider before. And, and, and I think that's liberating on one hand, because, you know, we spend our time as criminologists trying to get students and, and the public to think outside that box, you know, why prison? Why do we do what we do in, in, in terms of responding? To crime, uh, I would guess the problem you have is a different one than, than we have, which would be more, you know, why even ask those questions? You know, well, who cares about rehabilitating uh, the folks convicted of terrorism? Who cares about why they exist and, and so forth? Whereas in criminology, we've sort of taken for granted. Well, we have to do something about uh, rehabilitation. We'll have to. Somebody has to study this stuff and do this stuff in, in the prisons and so forth. But but. Here, you know, you, you've got the benefit, but also the challenge of really trying to, to invent something for, from scratch. And I think it, it is uh, enviable in lots of ways. And, and if I may, my, my entry to all of this was, was by complete accident. I, when I was a graduate student here at UCC, doing my best to, to try to convince former members and active members of the provisional IRA to talk to me, I had a clue what I was doing. Um, I was interested in, in, in one set of issues, but because of what was going on at the time, you know, we were at the very beginning of, of, of what was to become the peace process and, and that led to the ceasefires, um, all anybody wanted to talk about was, um, as, as members of the IRA, was, was the effect it was going to have on the movement and, and you know, by implication, to trickle down to them as individuals. And people were talking about disillusionment and, and talking about wanting to figure out, well, where, where do I go now? And, and that was when I started thinking about these, these things, you know, disengagement and de-radicalization. And it sounds, you know, it sounds more complicated than it is, but it came from the simple realization that not everyone who gets out of that kind of activity necessarily changes their worldview. And it seems like such a simple, <laughs> simple thing to say, but at the time I remember being sort of blown away by it. I naively assumed, well, once you get out of this, you're, you're, you get out of it presumably because you've had a change of heart. I'm using the wrong metaphors here, but you know what I mean. Um, and I, you, you will not remember this, but I wrote to you, um, uh, you know, having, having read it just enough about desistance to be dangerous, and I said, you talk about primary desistance and secondary desistance. So primary desistance meaning you know you, you just stop doing the thing that defines you as criminal or terrorist or whatever. But secondary desistance implied again the change of heart, the change of mind, this fundamental reassessment of why you did what you did. And I thought, well isn't that a perfect match for disengagement and de-radicalization? 
Sometimes people walk away, they don't necessarily change their views, but sometimes people do. Uh, and uh, you know, this might be a perfect analogy for that. What was truly disheartening, you wrote back to me very, very generously and said, well, there's good news and bad news. Good news is, yes, this, this, this does seem to be a, a good analogy, a good match. However, don't assume that it has been figured out what secondary assistance is, because not even offenders themselves have figured it out. And, and that, is, uh, that was 17 years ago I wrote that email. <laughs> <laughs> I've got even worse news. That's so we be bad in the tertiary assistance now. <laughs> My small narrow thing that I'm interested in the world, we have somewhere between, by my count, uh, 35 to 40 active known de-radicalization programs um, that, that, that are operating. Some claim to be very, very successful. They're not doing a very good job at explaining why they're successful, but they all rely on, on some fairly um, unfounded views about these things and, and how they relate together, if at all. So. So they belong to There's a really interesting connection, though. You mentioned tertiary desistance, and if you look back at your work before tertiary desistance emerged, you recognized that these individual members of the PIRA, the UDA, UBF, they had to go back to the community because that's where they came from. And that dynamic in your work is very much reflected now in tertiary desistance. Yeah. You know, so those overlaps do, they do exist, but they're not ever made explicit. You know, so I think that's something in terms of connections, but and what and I was following on from what you said, Shad, was this idea that um, because terrorism studies is a discipline, is it in fact isolated, or is it a discipline? Is the question. Um, it might be better, John. Is it is it a discipline, and is it isolated? Meaning, uh, what do you mean by isolated? Is it isolated in the sense that it's security driven? It doesn't draw on the fundamentals like a canon from a, an existing body of work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the, uh, I, yes, uh, I would guess so, uh, and, and, and that in that sense, it's very like criminology. Um, you know, these are, are new fields, and, and, and I'm, you know, I, I can be a bit ambivalent uh, about, well, I, you know, I owe a lot to criminology, and, and, and so I'm, I'm, I'm biased toward the, these, this new direction, but I understand the kind of, the argument that, you know, so now we have terrorism studies, we have crime studies, we have, uh, um, X, Y, and Z studies, and and the old disciplines, the, the anthropologies, the sociologies, they're, they're saying, well, look, you know, what about us? Uh, the students want to go to these you know, new and shiny things. They're not being trained in the classics. They're not being trained in, in, in uh, uh, traditions of methodology and, and, and view viewpoints and so forth. Um, and, and and so I'm sympathetic to that uh, argument uh, for, for sure. On the other hand, I, I can understand the, uh, I mean, and some of it is uh, um, purely, um, uh, so some of it is career driven. It sounds like, okay, uh, sociology doesn't, you know, I, I've never met a, a professional sociologist whereas criminal justice, criminology sounds like there's a job at the end of the day. Security sounds like there'll be work, there's lots of work in that regard. So some of it is, is cynically, Career driven, some of it is, is uh, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking at? The, um, you know, people like exciting, novel things. And so, so some of it is, is, is uh, populist in, in, in that sense. But uh, um, some of it, and I haven't said a good thing yet about these fields, 
But the good thing about these fields is, I think, throwing off that baggage of, of tradition and, and oh, we're, we're all economists, so we, we have to see things in these ways. As a, as a criminologist, as, as a, presumably as a terrorism studies expert, we can dabble from psychology, we can steal from economics, we can steal from history, we can steal from all these different angles, and, and you know, we call it rendezvous discipline. Uh, but it really does work, you know, when you go to a meeting like this and you get people who have been trained in geography and people who have been trained in, in, in uh, discourse analysis, and you put them in the room and, and, and you, you get talking about the same dependent variable, uh, I mean, really exciting things come about uh, by getting out of our silos and, and doing that sort of rendezvous uh, of, of disciplines around a single issue. Uh, the, 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 my main concern with both of our fields uh, is that the issue that we've chosen as our dependent variable is, is not just controversial, but, but, but hugely uh, problematic. So crime, you know, we, we still don't get past week one of any criminology course of what is crime. We can't answer that in a justifiable way, you know. We, we, we fall back on, well, crime is what, what you know, the state criminalizes, uh, but, but that's not a very good uh, rationale for, for a whole university degree, let alone even, you know, a, a single book. It's, it's a messy, messy variable. Uh, and, I, and it's also stigmatizing, you know. I, I, um, in some of my forays into to, uh, John's world, uh, I worked with Kushta, an organization in, in Belfast. Uh, when, when I first got there, I first served an organization. Um, and I've got a couple of small grant projects to, to do research with them and, 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 and found a very sort of tense relationship with them that's probably, I assume, I'm an outsider, I'm an American, they don't know who I am, and so forth. But, but I came to realize it was because of my title as a criminologist. Uh, at one point, literally, one of the, the, uh, the, the representatives said, you know, please just don't call any of the men criminal. Uh, as if anybody would do that, you know, as if I would uh, start a meeting. I mean, just so so we know, you're all the criminals, right? And then, I, you know, and, and, uh, well, of course I wouldn't do that, but it, he's right. It's right there in my name, criminologist. So, so there is this sort of presumption that that of of, of stigma and, and so forth, you know. So. So this is the problem to me with criminology, and I imagine terrorism studies, it doesn't do you guys any favors either to, to enter a room as I study terrorism, uh, when not everybody agrees who's a terrorist and what's a terrorist, and, and, and certainly nobody wants to be the terrorist. I think so. One of my first interviews as a PhD student was with um, someone who became a member of the IRA Army Council, and it was in a, the upstairs of a bar, not too, too far away from here. <laughs> And uh, the barman said to me, you know, I think this is his way of trying to say, you know, good luck, was, uh, uh, you know, just by the way, he wouldn't have any time for someone who would call him a terrorist now. Terrorism is not a discipline. It's, it's not. History, sociology, political science, criminology, psychology, economic, these are the disciplines. Uh, one, of the, one, of, one of the formative texts that I read um, um, when, I, when I knew I really wanted to try to grapple with the subject was a book by Walter Reich called Origins of Terrorism. And it's one of the first uh, really explicit attempts to sort of bring together different sorts of academics to bear on a terrorism problem. 
conclusion of the book in a nutshell, uh, which I would urge all students to read, is if you try to understand terrorism from any one disciplinary perspective, you will fail. As psychologists, you know, I think we have this, um, um, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's something that comes from our discipline, I think is this sort of this patronizing worldview that, okay, yeah, all disciplines are great, but we're, we really know, <laughs> we really know what makes people tick. Well, I'm, I'm not just saying this because, you know, I'm, I'm back in UCC and I'm, I'm seeing different people sitting up there, but uh, for, for decades, I think psychology as a discipline completely failed to contribute anything meaningful to the study of terrorism. Um, and what I, what, how I have learned to think about terrorism <coughs> primarily came from reading, about, reading sociology. The political sociology of terrorism is, is by far the most conceptually sophisticated stuff that I've ever read. Uh, the methods have come from criminology. I think psychology is slowly coming around. But, uh, so I, I don't know what it is. It's in area studies or, or you know, whatever phrase de jour you, know, you have here um, or, or, or in universities generally. But it is not a discipline. It is an interdisciplinary endeavor. And... For all kinds of reasons, I think it is in its golden age. I think it has never been better than it is right now. It's interesting you mention political sociology and you talk about the kind of critical approaches, and that's one criticism that has been raised against the study of terrorism. Just you mentioned around the definition, but also the approaches taken. In that, how can we use these critical perspectives, you know, in terms of a topic like terrorism? Yeah, um, a great, great question, and, and, and I know there is a critical tradition in, in terrorism studies, although I don't know it that well. Um, but I, I think, you know, if, if I were to get advice from criminology, uh, we, we obviously have had a long experience with critical criminology, but, but the, the, the theory that I would uh, point to would be labeling theory, and that Labeling theory, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm biased. I think labeling theory really saved the field of criminology, you know, and in, in, in the kind of 1950s heyday of, of criminology, we, we were, were obsessed with understanding uh, why young people were, were becoming delinquent, joining these gangs, these sort of rebels without a cause, and so forth. And, and I, I really don't think. If, if that's all we ever did as a field, uh, then, then we'd be around today. I mean, for one thing, young people are, are there's not as many young people, there aren't as many delinquents, there's a lot bigger things going on in the field. And, and what labeling theory allowed us to do was to say, um, um, yes, it, it, it's interesting why these, these young people are becoming uh, deviants, but, but in order to understand that, you have to understand both the the, 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 uh, the the actors, but also the, the responses to crime. And, and we can't understand delinquency without understanding the criminal justice system and, and so forth. And it really opened up criminology to, to you know, now, I, I, I do supervise a lot of students and I work with a lot of students elsewhere, and hardly anybody is studying why young people get involved in crime anymore, that the sort of the 1950s concerns. Everybody's interested in the criminal justice system and why, you know, why do we punish so much and, and uh, why do we, some, some groups get away with crime and other groups not. And, and these kind of labeling sort of issues uh, have, have really become the, the core bed and, brother, bread and mother of the discipline and what, what, what most of us are interested in. 
And, and I, uh, I'm certain that you look at these things in the terrorism subject, but it's, it seems to me, you know, it screams out because of the definitional controversies of who is a terrorist, who, you know, labeling theory would say, well, the terrorist is the person who is labeled as a, as a terrorist. And, and then the question becomes, who gets that power? Who, who decides who, who's a terrorist, who's a, a right-wing uh, uh, lunatic, who, who has mental health problems, who's a, uh, and so forth. How do we get to that, that label? And, and I, I definitely want to hear more about, about your views in, in, in that regard of uh, who should be labeled a terrorist and who should be, but, but, uh, uh, but uh, I think that's where uh, some good critical theory must be going in that, in that direction. I think that, uh, so yes to all of that, <laughs> I'm not sure. And uh, the, the, the one big reservation I have with the, there has been an effort, as you know, to, to create and sustain an explicitly critical terrorism studies community, which defines itself by being outside of presumably whatever the rest of us are. Uh, the, a few years ago, um, 2008, I think, Michael, my good friend, colleague Michael Boyle and I were invited to uh, respond. And, and so uh, to, the, to the allegation that, well, people who study terrorism are fundamentally compromised by virtue of the fact that we use the word terrorism. Well, I own the fact that I use the word terrorism. And I will talk to you for days on end about how consistent I am in use of that label and all of the problems that go with it. But the assumption that we're not self-correcting and reflexive and critical about what we do um, struck me as nothing less than disingenuous. And, and I was very open and frank to, to people in the critical terrorism studies movement about that. And uh, I think that, I think the critical terrorism studies field is, is it's, it's a field out of time in a way. 20, 25, 30 years ago, they would have been absolutely spot on. The terrorism studies has changed. I would have been one of the most critical people of the lack of progress in our field for years and years and years, but it has, it has fundamentally changed. We're seeing, um, I mean, extraordinary progress at the graduate level that we have ignored for years and years and years. We haven't done anything to, to sustain graduate involvement in terrorism research, um, but drawing on tried and tested methods, theories, I mean, it, it is a completely different field than it was 20 years ago, completely different. Just in terms of your own work, John, um, the, the, the theme of the conference is nothing about us without us. Now, that doesn't go down so well when we're talking about people convicted of terrorism. Uh, but one of the things you've always done in your approach is you have talked to people who have been involved, you know, at every level. And I think, how, you know, if you could talk a little bit about how that influences your work and your thinking and, and what's the impact of having that experience. I, I, I think... It is essential, and to, 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 to go back to, to Max Taylor, who spent a lot of time in these very worlds trying to talk me out of the terrorism research, uh, and failed miserably. And, and his view was, um, look, if, if you really want to try to, he said, forget about trying to explain it, because you, you won't do that, and, and don't think for a second you will be able to do that. But this is a grounding lesson as a graduate student to be told that. But he said, if, if you really want to, to spend time engaging in this, you're going to have to talk to people who are involved or who have been involved. And um, I thought, well, that sounds like a very interesting 
undertaking. Uh, I don't know how one goes about doing that. Um, eventually, learn that it is possible, and um, you know the, the 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 subsequent warning he gave me was, okay, so so now that we have a plan for you to start doing this, be careful because you will be accused of giving voice to people who simply don't deserve it. And he said, you know, I want you to jump in with both feet and see what happens, but um, uh, he said, you will be fed propaganda, nothing more. And, and to an extent, he was correct. And it partly was an indicator of how inexperienced I was as an interviewer at the time. I would ask, uh, I would ask you know, Republicans, well, why did you join the IRA? Well, <laughs> it wasn't just like an intellectual exercise, but I would, I would get an answer that I, I subsequently learned was, was just couched in terms of the kinds of things one learns in a movement like that. It told, it told me a lot about the kinds of things people learn when they spend time in such a movement. It didn't tell me anything whatsoever about this person sitting in front of me and how he came to be where he was. Um, so uh, it, was, it was a grounding lesson, you know, coming away thinking, well, I've got hours and hours of uh, audio tapes here. It must be good. <laughs> and it was, um, it, it told the story, but it just told me nothing about the person. So I had to, I had to learn how to do interviews and, and, and go back. But um, I, I can't now not imagine speaking to participants. Uh, this this newest project that I'm involved in, in in looking at the evolution of this this uh, incel movement, uh, incels have been very very quick to reach out to me to say, uh, consistent with the theme of the conference, don't even think for a second you're going to write anything about us, maybe without listening to what we have to say. And I'm like, well, bring it on. Why would you think that I would want to listen to hear you? And that was that came as a surprise to them. And so I said, well, if you're open to me asking questions, then uh, let's do it. Uh, we, we are nowhere near, I think, the kinds of, with exceptions, uh, when I look to somebody like John Morrison, who's done extraordinary work um, uh, on, um, uh, on terrorism. Uh, it's very, very, very hard. We don't want to, terrorism studies involving participants, I think, has yet to um, enjoy the kinds of methodological standards we expect of something in, in psychology, for example, where you would be expected to do hundreds of interviews and conduct hundreds, if not thousands, of surveys. We're nowhere near that. Near that. I think where things have changed is that 10 years ago, if you did one interview, you could pass it off as some extraordinary uh, piece of insight, uh, just <coughs> simply because you managed to get access to one very special person. Now I think even within the field, people would frown at that and go, well, yeah, okay, come on, but, you know, there's, there's more to it here. Um, but this is, this is a young field, and, and so it, it is about baby steps, but I think we're going in the right direction, and I think it is impossible to gain any kind of perspective unless we do include perspectives and insights um, from um, those who participate in it. it. You know, it is not equivalent to morally sanctioning or justifying what they did. Remember that, uh, those who are familiar with you know, Northern Ireland, that one of the famous quotes that um, the then, uh, I think it was still the RUC and not PSNI, but when Ronnie Flanagan retired, a journalist I think from the BBC asked him, you know, uh, so this is your last day, you know, now that you've been here for so long, do you ever think you could you know, put yourself in the shoes of the, the IRA volunteer and understand where they're, where they're coming from? 
And, um, you know, Flanagan is a very thoughtful guy. He paused and thought, well, I don't want <laughs> to sabotage my, uh, my, my comment here. He said, um, no. Because he said, for me, I think understanding comes too close to excusing. And there's something very, very important about that. Um, back in the 70s, um, uh, you know, people like James Hoffman and Brian Jenkins would talk about some academics were the quote the terrorist best friend because you know the academics would sort of give, give, give participants a platform to talk about you know their they would, they would amplify the romance of the revolutionary and i think things have changed i think um but but i can't as a psychologist i can't imagine not including perspectives from participants which can't happen and you've done a lot of that work as well sure yeah you know, i think it's a great work it was uh, um it was a social science since two seven hundred years before right like but but then uh, who uh, Chicago school anyway uh, talked about uh, to to understand is to forgive uh, fundamentally and that's why uh, we, we don't want to understand at some level and and, and uh, yes you know criminology we, we have a longer history of that but but the same accusations and, and certainly talking to some people here uh, sex offending and, and, and other types of crime are still a, a taboo area to understand because of just that reason of, of it looks like delusion at, at, at some level. Um, I might just go further on the nothing about us without us theme though. I mean, this this uh, uh, is, is used um, by a, a lot of different uh, movements and, and, and part of it certainly is that, that uh, giving voice and, and, and doing the, the kind of work that I do now does uh, in terms of, of, of narrative research, but another part is uh, involvement in the research itself. And, and so, you know, I, I don't know who all is in the audience because I don't know this group, but if, if we were having this talk in Belfast, and I'm, I'm sure you didn't judge out given talks in, in Belfast, and maybe you did. If we were in Belfast, there would be uh, folks in the audience who were, who were released uh, on a good Friday. There would be uh, folks who did time and place from both communities uh, or both, both uh, sides of, of, of the divide. Uh, um, in that, there, there was a, a tremendous amount of, of reading and learning that, that went on in, in, in the maze and, and other prisons uh, and, at the time. And, and several uh, individuals uh, um, have. Uh, Joined academia, done PhDs, others certainly are in politics and, and otherwise, and so it, it, it does make um, those conversations um, uh, both challenging, but also richer. I think in, in, in Belfast, for the, the challenging part, I've published hardly any uh, of, of the research I did. Certainly, none, uh, very little of the Christian research or others, because I, I, I felt like I never. Um, what do I know about this subject? You know, as, as an American, in Belfast, here we've got a courtman in, in, in America. Very <laughs> man. Uh, we, we've sort of gone different directions. So we need to coordinate. Anyhow, as an American in Belfast, I have not felt able uh, or up to the task of, of taking on those issues and, and, and especially with you know 
compared to folks who, who were there, folks who, who were engaged in the issues, uh, you know, it, it is, I have felt inadequate to the test. At the same point, I, I, I write about uh, prison, prisoner issues, having not been a prisoner myself. So, so I, I, you know, I, I would not say that, that someone who hasn't experienced something can't write. I mean, it's an absurdity to, to, to say that. Uh, and, and, you know, if, if anything, it's almost to, to say we in criminology need to do a better job of, of involving those who have lived experience in, in our own research that so nothing about us without us. And, 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 and almost, it, when it comes to security and terrorism studies, in the North at least, there are, uh, um, um, we already have that level of, of dialogue, of, of first-person accounts, uh, as well as uh, expert accounts, and, and it, it uh, makes for really interesting. I was just going to really briefly say, I think time and distance plays a huge role in this as well. Would we be so quick to make the same points about people leaving ISIS, for example? Mm. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe, maybe not. Yeah. Maybe that's mm. the way things are. But mm. um, I, I think a lot of people would struggle with Oh, I, I think a lot of Americans yeah. certainly would, yeah. yeah. And, and, and you wouldn't have the, an audience uh, of, of ex Guantanamo at, at, uh, in, in, in Atlanta, I don't think, whereas. You would in the north, and yes, it's, it, it's been longer, uh, um, but uh, that, that has been, you know, it, it, it's been part of, of the case from, from the, the beginning, so, as you know, too. So, so uh, um, it's, it's uh, it, context is everything, and it, it is interesting. I'm going to um, touch on one point that Ashad, you brought up at an earlier event, which was the question of why or how do people leave offending behaviors behind. Now we always ask the why or how do people leave terrorism behind, but that, that point that you made, that's not a question we ask. However, in the study of terrorism, it's fairly fundamental. Yeah, I, I, you said you weren't there, do you want me to say in, in John's work, you get these, uh, and I, I, I reread them all, you, you get these fascinating lists of rationales for the why people disengage from, from uh, various movements. And, and it's things like uh, feeling betrayed by others in, in the organization, uh, the, the, the movement uh, is, it crosses a line, a personal line that, that somebody has in terms of the methods that they're using. And, and these kind of fascinating kind of list of, of, of rationales and, and, and not the kind of the, the initial propaganda, but, but clearly getting at the, 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 the genuine, here's where I broke with, with, with the movement and, and, and so forth. And, and we, we were saying earlier, those kind of why people desist from crime hasn't been a, a, a big issue in, in, in crime. The, the why is, is almost too obvious. It's, it's uh, uh, well, you know, we clearly when, when a person's uh, in prison, the person's lost everything. Uh, there's, a, there's a rational choice, there's an obvious um, reason uh, for getting away from criminal behavior. The person's not very good at it in that they, they, they keep getting caught and it's, it's ruining everything for them and so forth. So we can focus more on the, the how. Once you want to move away from crime, and you do a survey in, in, in any prison and 80-90% and want to move away from crime, it's the how. They don't know how they will do it. Who's going to give me a chance? How do I convince people that I've really changed? And all those sort of questions that we look at in assistance. But but in in, in, in 
this work. Uh, I think we still just need to understand the why questions, and, and, and I found them really interesting because if we want to work with people to, to de-radicalize or, or to de-escalate or, or, or to, to uh, all, all the different words, um, uh, you, you, it's, it's useful to know what, what are these reasons why, why they, the, 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 those who naturally move or, or without intervention desist from the behavior. And especially in the terrorism context, when there are so many programs and initiatives that are now, uh, you know, actively promoting what they call de-radicalization, which really is about lowering the risk of recidivism. That's fundamentally what it's about. Um, but they, all of these programs do do try to achieve that goal in very different sorts of ways, and 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 maybe one or two or three of them have any sense of an underlying theory. Yeah, yeah. And the big the big answer, the common answer, is always well. Our program is successful because we have released X number of people and the recidivism rate is you know, very, very, very low. Well, here's the thing. For reasons that we have yet to ex adequately explain, the terrorism recidivism rate is low anyway. It's low irrespective of whether someone participates in one of these programs. So um, I was in Somalia last year speaking with members of Al-Shabaab, asking them about their disengagement experiences and they said uh, well you know you're, once you're out you're out there is no going back and I thought well why not I mean you know what, what, what? <laughs> now, a basic, basic question right and he said well well Al-Shabaab at least our section of it doesn't take people back they'll cut your head off so there's no recidivism in Al-Shabaab because they will execute <laughs> And it was the beginning of a conversation with, with um, a, a, a really extraordinary uh, NGO out there doing work to say, listen, I believe in what you're doing here. I, I believe in what you're doing to rehabilitate people that you know, have done awful, unspeakable things in the name of a community that now doesn't want them back. But for, for you to say a program successful because of your citizen, I, I might want to work on that. So, yeah. Just as the, the, the no underlying theory is common to rehabilitation programs across the board, not just uh, technically, ordinary, you know, well, why do you do what you do? Well, it's what works. And then, well, that, you know, what, what's, well, what is it? What's the, the, the theory behind what, what worked well? We, we, you know, we use R&R. &R. Well, what, what's the theory? Anyway, they, 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 this is a very common thing. As long as, as uh, they get the funding and the, the numbers are down, that's the theory. And, and, and it is, uh, it, it, the, both of us start from the perspective of, you know, they, if you wanted to build a theory of, of how to change people, start with grounded research on how people change uh, outside of programs. And, and, and I think that's one of the things that your research does so well. Thank you. And that's, that goes to, I think, basic description. You know, Terrorism studies I like, failed for the first couple of decades because the people who had a vested interest in, 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 in I think in some ways, you know, developing um, a career in this were so quick to rush to explaining terrorism. But how can, how can we explain something that we haven't even properly described yet? I mean, so, so, so for me, and, and the kind of things that I encourage my students to do in my lab, it's about let's get the basic description because if we're serious about the science of this, let's hold off on the explanation for a little longer. It's just, you know, what is, what, are the what is the sequence of events that leads to someone, quote unquote, radicalizing? We don't even have an answer to that. And that would seem to me to be a fairly important question, both from a scientific and policy perspective. And yet we fail to give an answer that is either satisfactory or grounded in any kind of real evidence.
Uh, we could keep asking questions, but unfortunately we're nearly out of time. Um, I might have one or two quick questions from the floor if we have um, anybody who has a pressing question. Language. <laughs> yeah, I mean, thanks. Okay. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed your conversation and your question. Uh, first, uh, a few points I would, I would like to make here. First, it is about terrorism and the, the definition of terrorism. This is the problem because it is so much related to international relations and international politics. Without considering uh, that relationship between countries or international relations and politics, we cannot just consider on uh, local uh, terrorists or, or international terrorists and talk about uh, terrorism. The first thing is that there are power, you know, as you mentioned, uh, we, we are talking about laboring and, and labor. Terrorists in the countries or in other parts of the world, we have power. We cannot we can identify, for example, we are saying Bahami in Sunia, or we are talking about the US and so on. But we haven't evidence to provide who is supporting terrorists and who is going to form uh, the community. That is very important. Who is uh, uh, yeah, who is playing a role? Well, who is the main actor that we cannot identify or we, we can identify but we have any evidence to show who is the uh, main actor? Yeah, complicated. Yeah, I mean, all of that is true. And it doesn't take away from the fact that we still have to figure out what to do and say about it as academics. So, so you know, this, this issue of, of the definition and whether we should just get rid of it, I mean, you know, again, last time I was both Max Taylor, we're stuck with it. And that might be a bit fatalistic, but, you know, I mean, there are, there, we've tried to change the debate somewhat, say, all right, how about violent extremism? Well, the same questions are coming up about that. So the same, you know, like, you know what, hang on, forget it, we're taking that off the table, let's go back to terrorism and let's just stick with it. So all I can say is we need to try to use that label as consistently and as explicitly as we possibly can. Uh, just jump in, I mean, it's not my question, but, but uh, I thought it was a really important point, the, the um, uh, widening access, so rather than just looking at the, the individual actors, but, but what are the forces behind, you talked about international politics, you talked about who's supporting the actors, and, and it's one of the things that I, and, and I know the, the field looks at just those, those issues, and you talked about political sociology, uh, you know, it's one of the things that I get in, in reading this work for criminology, for my world, you know, we in criminology and, and, and even not everybody, and not, not, not anyone here, but, but we're far too individual centric uh, because the law is individual centric and we, we spend way too much time focusing on, on, on the individual who's up at the dock, who's uh, been convicted of whatever, whatever uh, offense. And, uh, you know, the, this kind of research, uh, as you say, reminds us. There are broader forces, wider forces at play before that young person ever got there. And, and, and like with other cities, you know, we, we would never end uh, a, a, a terror conflict, a, a, a violent conflict by changing individual actors. 
likewise with, with, with crime and justice, you know, they, they, we, we can't, we, we have to look at these wider forces at play and then looking at these individual actors. So, so I think it's a, it's a really good point. There, there's a bit of a, um, a conflict here, I think, because of, because of all, of, all of the problems and all of the issues we have in, in the use of that very powerful label. At the same time, I think it is incumbent on us that we figure out what terrorism is and what it isn't. Uh, back home in the US right now, we are in the midst of an epidemic of mass shootings. Another one again just a few hours ago. It is just never ending. Um, one of the common reactions to the mass shooting is stop all of this talk, stop listening to experts, let's call it what it is, it is terrorism. Um, sometimes it is, sometimes more often than not it isn't. We know what terrorism is, and that's not we know when we see it or any of that, but you know, it, it is a label which does actually have a meaning, and we just tend to, we tend to use it so indiscriminately now, and, and I, that's what I fear. The fear that we are seeing this loosening of the concept, which academically might be something we embrace, but from a policy perspective, is absolutely disastrous. Kevin, last question. Uh, sorry, John, question for you, just in addition to your study across theories, about terrorist groups, the separatist, religious, and so on. Have you identified any commonalities on that role to radicalization? Uh, yes, thank you for the question, Kevin. Um, the one thing I think they all have in common is the belief that through their actions they are bringing about a better future. I think that's the one thing they all have in common. Uh, there are similarities in terms of psychological process, I and mean, it is gradual. You know, anytime you see this narrative of someone, you know, turning overnight, well, well, forget that. Um, anytime you see this simplistic narrative of someone becoming a convert and then, you know, propelling into terrorism, it typically doesn't happen like that. Um, it is a gradual process of considering multiple different options. It is about embracing the view that violence is a is a defensive action in service of those that cannot fight for themselves. So consistent with the theme of the conference, it is about um, acting on behalf of a community. Now that community will, will, will frequently reject individual atrocities, the point that I think John Larson made this morning, but might be supported in a broader sense. Um, uh, but, but the belief in bringing around a better future that can only be achieved urgently through the use of a specific tactic is, is the one thing that they all have in common. How somebody gets to that viewpoint will vary. Sometimes it will come through exposure to ideological content. Sometimes it will more often come, more often than not, come from a relationship with somebody else. Uh, uh, a, a recruiter, we seem to have lost sight of recruiters in all of this. We talk about lone wolves and self-radicalization and all of that. Well, well, the category of lone wolf has a very um, a short half-life as a diagnostic category. Just wait four or five weeks and typically other people in that network will be identified. Um, but the belief in bringing about a better future, I think, is the one defining psychological characteristic across all territories. Um, thank you so much. And thank you for joining me.